attention, please. Good morning or good evening, depending on whatever shift your seniority allows you to hold. I'm William Young, correctional officer and author of When Home Becomes a Housing Unit. Tonight I'll be your ever so gracious host and the director of dialogue for the duration of this discussion. Allow me to welcome you with warm, unwavering, outstretched, and open arms to this week's edition of the Saturday Night Synopsis. Tonight, my brave brothers and sisters, I have with me a fellow correctional officer, a fellow improvisational conversationalist, Mr. Jed Lamoz. Jed, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate you being here tonight. Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about crisis communication and some things that we can do to help during those situations to communicate with people and, uh, and force. We're going to talk about some steps that we can take. And then at the end, we're going to talk a little bit about how you manage and process some of that extra baggage that you take on while doing that. But before we get started, Jed, I ask everybody, what brought you to this magical world of corrections? So, um, I used to work, or I used to go to college in Wayne State. Um, I got kicked out of Wayne State because of grades. I didn't go to school. And so I was working at a trust shop for Carhartt Lumber, and uh, they laid off, um, laid us off, and they stopped building trusses. So I asked my friend, he worked down in Tecumseh, and I said, hey, uh, are they still hiring? And he goes, they're always hiring. I said, all right. So I applied, and I finally I just jumped into it. So at 24, I started off as down in Tecumseh, or down in the correctional facility down there. Yeah, I heard the, uh, the uh, uh, governor, I was watching the, the, the press briefings, and, and uh, somebody had asked him a question to say, hey, do you have any solutions for anybody who has, is laid off right now? Are there any industries out there hiring and he said yeah corrections corrections is always hiring so come on yep. down and we expect you to show up every day right right you know what and, and, and listen i was talking to somebody earlier today and it is so weird that during this time our our sick leave is down so far i mean everybody's coming to work right now it it's amazing i don't know if it's because they have nothing else to do uh, everything's closed. <laughs> That's right. Hey, you're right. the The only place you can go right now in the country to socialize with other people is in jail or prison. That's it. That's it. Open day room, man, all day long. Yep. All day long. So let me ask you: When? How far were you into your career before you took on? So you said, "Hey, I want to join CNT. Crisis negotiation is for me." What? How? How far into your career? And and, and why did you pick? Uh, crisis negotiations instead of uh, the other special teams, CERT or SORT? Uh, I remember during uh, our pre-service that when they talked about CNT, uh, I was really interested in it, and I thought that would be, because in my life, I've always been maybe the talker, I try to get my friends out of fights, or being like, this isn't the right thing to do, and I always felt that was maybe the natural thing for me. And so I think I was about a year, year and a half into um working as an officer and a corporal and then the school came up and I applied for it and I actually went through the school twice so the first time I went through I never made it and so I think part of that was I had a little bit of inexperience or a little bit of growth that I needed to do and then also um, just more experience and just a little bit of time to hone some of the skills that you learn from the school the you know at the time it was I think eight days so, and they fly by quicker than anything in the world. And I loved every minute of it going through the first time. And then I 
beat myself. Well, loved it and hated it at the same time. But right. I beat myself up, you know, going back through again. So I'm glad I did it. I love it. I was going to say, I, I had the opportunity to go through the school, and, 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 and the school is is an award-winning program, right? You guys won a huge award this year yep. for, for the school. And when, so when you said you loved every minute of it and it went by really quick, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's true. Because for me, it was, it was hell for uh, yep. nine days. Uh, every minute was it, – listen, it was the greatest, most intense experience of my life. And, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was terrible, though. I, I, listen, I still have there, – there's a couple of things that, that happened to me. I still, uh, I still remember um, – Melissa getting murdered on the phone when I was on the phone, and and that was terrible. Uh, and and I went home that weekend and called my buddy and I told him, hey, this is what's going on. This is what I went through. And he was like, I'm I'm glad I didn't put in for it. I want nothing to do with what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then later on when we had a uh, it, and it's funny because some of the so some of our other staff have gone through as we're building the team. And they talk about uh, some of their memories during the school. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I was in one of your scenarios, and one of the people there uh, had to sing, right? And we'll talk a little bit about that later. But the song that he sang, uh, he sang Creep by Radiohead. And uh, I had heard that song, but I wasn't like super in love with that song. But I'll tell you what, I know every word to that song. I sing it. I mean, almost daily, but it's because of that intense memory from that school, man. It's no, that training's no joke. You guys, you guys should be proud of yourselves for, for that, for that school that you put on, man. It's incredible. appreciate that. And honestly, I still, I mean, it was, so I've been on the team five years and then two years prior to that, I took the, so seven years ago, I still remember that first school. Like it was today still. Right. And some of the scenarios that we went through and some of the, the headaches that we did and then actually you get off the phone you're saying why did i say that or why didn't i say this it's it's crazy how intense and how realistic it is yeah you guys uh, you guys put so much planning into it and uh and it, it's it's incredible it's an incredible experience man and and i'll tell you what I, I i tease people because there are there are some people that um have uh, gone through the fbi academy and mm -hmm. uh, i i say no way there's just no way that that it's even it's even comparable. I mean, it's, I'm sure it is a little bit, um, but it's just it's just amazing. So I want to talk to you a little bit about. So I wrote an article and I sent you that article yes. about the four C's of crisis communication, and I and I think there's a couple of good points that uh, I want to really harp on because I I think that officers overlook some of this stuff when we go into these situations because we are we're we're not trained initially in the academy to to deal with this kind of mental health kind of stuff right and, and, yep. and so so the first thing that i talk about is being able to control your own emotions when you go into a situation so could you talk a little bit about that and, and maybe how important that is or if you feel it's important when you're when you're going into a situation yeah because i mean <laughs> I mean, it's, you always have to, because they're always going to say something that may or that might trigger you or might just like, oh, here we go again. We're going around, around in a circle again. We have to explain this to the whole thing again. And sometimes that, that 20th time is the time that it needs to finally get in their head or you say it just right or you have the right empathy in your voice that if it finally clicks and they're like, you know what, you are right. You know, we, we can't get through it. And honestly, I rather... I'd rather talk to him for an hour than have to go in and spend the whole day and then nothing ever got done, nothing ever got solved. So a lot of times I try to put myself in the most comfortable position I can so that I can kind of control my emotions. Like if I'm talking by a cell door, I lean up on the door, I kind of put my ear next to it and I try to envision uh, myself in their shoes or the situation if I can't see in the room. A lot of officers think that if you spend an hour at the door, spend two hours at the door, spend 10 minutes at the door that, that you lost, that we're, mm -hmm. that the, some, that the inmate somehow has control over us because we're not rushing in there and, and uh, using force for the yep. situation. What uh, do, do you run into that? 
Uh, I actually, um, I was a lieutenant. I just transferred to another facility and they called me in early because I was working third shift and they had a couple inmates uh, in our restrictive housing loose on the gallery and they're refusing to lock down. And I actually, uh, I went in there, I started talking to them. Um, we talked to between, well, they're holding me down because of SCG and where they're holding me down because, you know, they just don't like me and to the, you know what, we'll lock down if you can give me a porn magazine out of his property. And I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, we're going to take it in the morning anyway. So who cares? We get them locked down for the night. And then I looked at him. And I said, you know, as, as a joke, be like, you know what? CNT wins again, you know, just as a joke. And that made him so mad that they couldn't go in on him. They couldn't just end it right then and there. And I just never understood that mindset. Why would we ever want to possibly, you know, hurt the inmate or even ourselves to for something silly because we just gave him a porno or, um, you know, a peanut butter jelly sandwich. Who cares? Well, and, and when we're talking, this that's a great example, Jed. When we're talking about being able to control your emotions and, and the fact that we think that we lose by doing something like that, uh, I, I think that that is that shows us that that particular officer, and I'm guilty of it too. Trust me, mm-hmm. that that we have no control over the situation for whatever reason. We're taking that personal, and I honestly feel like it's because. Everything else around us is 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 in chaos, right? We can't, yep. you know, if you're coming up to a cell and you don't know that individual, uh, he didn't do anything to you personally. I mean, why why would somebody get that mad uh, about mm. a situation like that, right? And I and I'll tell you what, man, coming on 16 years in the game, it hurts when I hit the ground. I I, I hate <laughs> yep. if I can talk to a guy and get yep. him to do what I need him to do. Then that then that's a win for me. I feel I feel good about that. You know, it it it, it just if people get hurt, there's too much chance of people getting hurt. Mm-hmm. And, and if you go into a situation and you are like you talked about your triggers earlier, right? So yep. if you have any preconceived notion of this individual, if you have any biases coming into the situation, uh, if you got up on the wrong side of the bed. You're going to have a problem when you're sent to the door or sitting on the phone to yep. communicate. So so how do you, Jed, how do you, because uh, I know you have triggers. We all have triggers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you're married. I know your wife. So I know there's <laughs> triggers for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, how do you get rid of those? How do you set those aside when you go talk to somebody? I, I want to say, like, I honestly, I like clear my head of anything that's out in the world or anything like that. I kind of focus on that and it helps me to really picture what's going on in the room or to picture what's going on, on the other side of that phone. So if you, if you tell me you're sitting at the table, I'm seeing you sitting at the table. So a lot of times I'm looking straight down just out of in, in the middle of nothing. And I'm seeing that whole picture or I'm seeing how you're feeling, or I see that, you know, the wife in the background is yelling at that guy. And uh, I I kind of put myself in that shoes. And I, I would go fucking crazy too, you know, right. something like that happened. So I, I think that's the best way I can kind of control what my triggers are. And I kind of leave it at the door at the facility or whatever it is. You know, and I think that's where people have to be honest with themselves. So a lot of people like, I'm like you, man, I'm a, I love to communicate. We're going to talk about that, that, that connection that you build with other people later. When I go into a situation, I don't have another outcome in mind. I, I want to connect with you. I want to, I want to get this done. Some people aren't built like that. Some people really like the tactical options. And and, and that's where I think you have to be honest with yourself and say, look, I, I don't have the patience to stand at the door and talk to somebody for four or five hours. I I just would rather go in and and put them in restraints. And that's fine. We need all of those options, Mm -hmm. right? But there's nothing wrong with, with trying to talk with them first to see what happens. And I think that I think that our facilities are shifting a little bit. If you go back 10, 15, 20 years ago, there was no talking. You just you just handled business. But yep. but now we understand that the guy who's kicking and screaming and banging on the door who says he's hearing voices in his cell may really be hearing voices. He, you know, we used to just say, oh, the guy's being an asshole, right? But, but now mm-hmm. we understand that he may be schizophrenic. He may be bipolar. He may have all these other issues going on. And if we take a little bit of time, then that may... That may stop the situation. 
so after we have control over our own emotions, which is, it, I mean, it's tough. We, we all we all get flustered. We all get pissed off. Then we want to connect with that person. We want to build that rapport. And I think that we all do that, uh, most of us, on a daily basis with our inmate population because we understand that that's how we survive in there, right? When you have a back and forth, you want to kind of know your people. But when you're negotiating with somebody, it's on a much deeper level. So can you yeah. talk a little bit, Jed, about the importance of building a connection? And, and actually, what what does that even mean, building a connection with somebody? So when you get on the phone or at the door, and especially if a guy doesn't know who you are, or the person on the other end doesn't know who you are, you can't just jump in there and say, let's let's solve this problem. You know, you got to get on the phone, kind of slow it down, say, explain what's going on today. Because obviously something major happened to get it to this extreme or something important to you got it to this extreme. So what happened? And really listen to what happened that day and how it made them feel, validating how their emotions were that day. You know, it's it sounds like you were absolutely terrified, you know, this happened or, you know, I'd be pissed off just as much as you would be right now. And I think the, the cell is really believing in the words that are coming out of your mouth. So the empathy and I'm like, especially during the school, I'm very hard on students that I don't hear empathy in because I know if I'm on the phone with them, I'm not going to want to talk to someone that's very condescending or just chipper maybe. And it doesn't seem like they really care. And I think to get that slow, you know, decent tone, the empathy in your voice, really caring, it really gets you a long ways. And then, you know, summarizing what they said, uh, you know, so they know that you're really listening. And sometimes you screw it up, but then you get you get parts of it. So they know that you're, you're listening and you're still trying to listen and you're trying to gain what is the problem for them or what's important to them. And so they'll explain it right back to you. They might get a little agitated here and there. But as long as you say, you know what, I'm sorry, please explain it to me again. Right. And it's just that conversation where, you know, conversation goes a long way. And if you truly listen to someone, you can get a lot accomplished. Now, one of the things that, that you taught me to do and one of the things that I do, and, it, and, it's, and it's crazy when you're at the school and you guys are saying, hey, you go in there and you say, hi, I'm Bill. You know, what's going on today? And you're thinking that that's stupid. That that is it doesn't feel natural. There's no way uh, an inmate who's who's barricaded in his room is going to respond to that, but but it does, and and, and so uh, a lot of officers have have barrier issues when it comes to this. Uh, so when when they say you want me to make a connection with this guy, uh, I'm supposed to be on this side of the fence, he or she's on that side of the fence. So uh, help explain a little bit what I mean. I mean, how can you relate? How can you connect with somebody? And, and still keep your keep your distance from them professionally. Like I'll give them something if it if it's warranted or if it if I think it will work. I'll you know I have a wife, I have a kid. You know he it's my son. He's two years old. Or you know I might tell him a story here or there. But I'm not going to go in depth. You know that you know his name is so and so. I have you know this main family and this they live here and there. But as long as you give them a little hint or a little snippet of your life, it makes you feel, I think it, to me, it makes you seem like a real person then and right. not just an officer or a CEO. So, I mean, you can give up information without giving up too much information, I think. And I think that's where sometimes we get um, in trouble or we get, we don't get anywhere with inmates sometimes or a certain person is because we don't want to give that up to them because we think that, you know, that's the first step of con games and they're going to trap us. But as long as you keep your distance and everything, and it's meant for a good purpose and you're not trying to gain, gain anything out of it or have them try to gain anything. Out of it, I don't see it being a problem. You know, my dad used to say, it's not what you say, but it's how you say it. And, I, and I'm going to tell you what, when you are engaging somebody who's in crisis or you have some sort of situation going on, and you walk up and you say, hey, I'm Officer Young, you need to listen to me. Yeah. Or, hey, I'm Officer Young, what's going on today? What's your problem? Versus, hey, I'm Bill, how can I help you? I mean, you get two very different responses. It, mm -hmm. it, it lowers, it de-escalates uh, the anxiety. And, it, and and I found that it throws them off, off guard a little bit because they, they don't expect that kind of greeting from yeah. us, right? I even... Uh... There was, he's on our team right now, and he's even said he wants to tell the story to this day a little bit. But, and I worked with him, 
and he was a sergeant, I was a lieutenant. And then when he went through the school, I, I could hear that authority figure in him. And I said, you need to just wipe out any authority figure, anything that you're a sergeant, that you're an intake. I said, take that all out. I said, I want you to go back to a corporal, whatever you were, and no authority whatsoever, and just talk to him. And then it finally clicked to him. Like, we just got to take that whole authority out. Because sometimes as a lieutenant, it's a little tough for me to, you know, it's my way or no way. And you're going to do things right. how we're going to do it. And then I know I have to separate myself and someone else needs to talk to him. But you just got to get that out. Well, and that's the, and again, that's the difference. See, as, as officers, we're very accustomed to, okay, this guy's got a, a problem. He's, he's malfunctioning. Let's go up and let's handle the problem. Let's, let's give him an answer. Let's get this over with as quick as we can because we have 200 more problems to deal with. And that's a much different mindset than what you're talking about, correct? Yeah. You're, you're about slowing it down. And, and building a, a building a real connection. Now, when you're negotiating, you're actually not. So this is what this is what I hear. Hey, you're not really doing anything but biding time. What do you say to that? We're not. Let's uh, so say that again. We're not doing anything to biding time. Yeah, I just I, all I, all I am is a is a stopgap between mm. whatever happened and these guys going in and, and putting them in handcuffs. Yeah. I look at them and I don't believe that whatsoever because after everything's said and done, we can either solve it two ways. We can go in and use force or I can talk to them for an hour to two hours and figure these things out. And then let's say I do get them out. I do. We do put cuffs on them. We do everything. And then two weeks from now, he does the same exact thing. I can come back to that door and he knows that I'm there going to be there to listen. And it's going to get me a lot farther. And I've already built that rapport from the previous time. Because it's not, I mean, it's a little different than, you know, if you're a cop out there, you might not see that person ever again. But right. we have a potential of seeing them for 50 years. And so I think if we just, they just need to listen to the process and not just think that we're there just for, uh, you know, just for nothing, just to buy time. I don't like that whatsoever. Yeah, I don't know if people understand if you're not in that situation and, and you guys are like, I mean, your major league stuff. My my experience compared to to you and, and and your colleagues is very minimal. But I can tell you that when we're when you guys are doing, I can feel this when I'm when I've had to do it. You become so emotionally invested yes. in what's happening that if it works, it's great. But if it doesn't work, you honestly you just feel like you failed. And mm -hmm. and and we take it just as seriously. I mean, this is a this being able to communicate is is to me one of the most important skills that a correctional officer can possess, right? And, and so yep. the people who train and do this, who've said, "Hey, I'm going to take on this extra duty and become a negotiator," man, they're, they they put their heart and their soul uh, into this thing. And I, every person that's made a team or. Uh, most of the people that have gone through our school have always said, you know, have said the same thing where they're so emotionally vested. I mean, I had one uh, Mike that's on our team. Uh, I remember during our school, he had a suicide scenario and he was talking and talking. And he was in if anybody has ever met Mike, they know that that's his bread and butter. And even during the school, that was his bread and butter. Like he can talk someone out of suicide or even, you know, as much as you want to act or anything like that, he can talk you out of it and make you want to live the rest of your life. And the end of the scenario was they're just going to kill themselves. He killed themselves. I remember he got up, he slammed the, the headset down and said, you selfish bastard. And he was wound up about it. And we all felt it too, because he, everything was right, but he still, you know, it still failed technically. So I, it's a crazy, it's a crazy school. And it's a crazy thing that we do. So let me, so, when we're, we're going to go, we're going to, we're talking about connection here, guys. We're talking about the four C's for people joining us. There's a lot of people uh, going back and forth here, getting some good questions. We're going to get to them. Kim's asking a good question. Adam's asking a good question. Uh, so keep them coming in, guys. Building a connection with somebody doesn't mean that you sit down and you say, hey, this is where I live. This is what I do. It could be something as silly as, let me tell you, there was, I, I got called because we had a, a, a lady who didn't want to go to court and they were going to 
force her to go to court. The judge wanted her to go to court. So they called me up there and I started talking to her. And the, and the way that I built a connection with her was I started talking about nachos. I don't know. I can't tell you how I got to nachos. But nachos was the thing that she wanted to continue to talk about. And we talked about the toppings that go on and the different seasonings and, and cheeses and melted cheese versus shredded cheese. And and it seems, you know, the guys behind me are like, what, what are you doing, Bill? Why are you talking about nachos with this crazy chick? But it worked. And we got mm -hmm. her out to court and, 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 and threw something as silly as not. And another, listen, another member of my team, it was a mulberry bush. <laughs> I, I don't know how we got to mulberry bush, but when she started talking about the mulberry bush... It got them talking about their life and their memories and their childhood. And then they put the weapon down. I mean, it, so when we're talking connection, we're not talking about, you know, giving up all your personal information. We're not and, and, and don't don't overthink it. Some some people, you know, it, it's like, you know, making small talk with somebody. And, and some of some people are really natural at it. It just just talk and just be yourself, because like Jed said, that empathy in your voice, that really matters. And they want to know that you care and want to make that true mm -hmm. connection. And, and then, then that's how you do it. And I think some of those little, you know, those little stories or nachos or the mulberry bush, it, it finally makes them feel, you know, like a human being again, you know, not just an inmate, not just a number. And that someone's actually willing to talk to them and kind of connect with them, like you said, over just something. It could be silly to some people, but it meant a lot to, you know, that female that day. No, you're right. You're right. And, and it, I think we, I think it's because we are so used to that run and gun attitude mm -hmm. that we don't, I mean, like I said, man, it's no different than just being at the bar and just striking up a conversation with somebody and, and, and seeing what, seeing what sticks. I mean, and, and sometimes it works. Sometimes they tell you to fuck off. Sometimes they say they don't want to talk to you, but you just keep finding that one thing. Just yeah, like those, uh, the, the three-minute speeches that we do during the school, you know, that help uh, that helps us get, you know, we give out a, you know, suspension bridges is one of the words that we give you. So now you have to talk for three minutes on that topic, and you can, you know, you can start, you know, a suspension bridge. You know, I don't know a lot about it, but I think the Golden State Bridge is. And then you have a memory from the Golden State Bridge, so then you kind of go off onto that tangent a little bit, and then you come back right back to the bridges again. This is kind of that helps you in the long long run in negotiations. It might sound silly or nerve wracking when you first do it, but it it really it's a really good tool to have so that you can keep moving on in conversation. Well, and, and you're right, and that's so it, it's funny because we do uh, a little something like that when we do our interviews, and so it, you mm. you throw out a word. And, and what I'm looking for and what you're talking about is, is if you say suspension bridge, uh, right? People don't know about suspension bridge. Well, I don't know about suspension bridge. Uh, I guess suspension bridges are long. Uh, they usually go over water and, um, I, I, you know, but what I want to hear, what, what is good is you take that suspension bridge. Like you said, you said, well, I know the Golden Gate Bridge is a suspension bridge. You know, I went there in 1996 with my family on a family vacation. And I remember me and my mom, we took a picture by that bridge. And, you know, my mom died a few years ago. And that was mm -hmm. one of my favorite. And but before you know it, you're not even talking about the freaking bridge yeah. anymore. You know what I mean? But you have this, you have this connection and you just don't know what comes out of it. And that's why you're right. That's why it's so important to just to be ready to just talk about anything. Yeah. I mean, it's great. And you're, and Jed, you, you guys, I, I'll tell you what, you're one of the, you're one of the best at it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jim Carpenter right that. here. Jim Carpenter went to the school with us. He's talking about hedgehogs. Uh, I think <laughs> that was probably on his three minute speech. You know, uh, one of the, one of the people at our, uh, at my facility, Stacy, she, uh, she did hedgehog in her interview and, uh, she has become infatuated with hedgehogs <laughs> and uh, probably is going to get a pet hedgehog uh, because, but it's, it's again, it's because she ties that to the experience yeah. and it was so intense that she, that she loves, that she loves hedgehogs now. <laughs> All right, Jed, talk to me a little bit about, here's the thing. Officers, a lot of officers think that they're good communicators. And I think mm -hmm. that what they are is really good bullshitters. And I, yep. I, I think that they're good talkers and they go in and they talk, 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 talk at the inmate. 
And then they think because the inmate, you know, ultimately, you know, does whatever they say or whatever, that that's that they, hey, I'm a great communicator. I do that. And, and that's kind of the mindset that I was in when I went to Kimberly says that uh, that uh, hedgehogs are super cute. But yeah, <laughs> if you don't pet them the wrong way or you get poked. Um, but that's what I thought when I went down to the school that I was a, that I was a good communicator. But I realized that I that I. I wasn't as good as I thought I was. I was a really good talker, yep. but, but, but not a good communicator. So talk to me a little bit about the difference between talking to someone and actually communicating with somebody, would you? I think talking to someone, especially like you were re, you know, you were talking about was we're the ones just talking and we're the ones saying that these are your choices. This is what you need to do. This is why it's a good reason why you do it. And we're not, that person is not truly listening to the inmate. You know, they're not letting them talk whatsoever. And so when the inmate in that, with that same person, if that inmate starts talking, they don't validate them. They don't, you know, summarize what they talked about. They just want to move on to the next topic and how we're going to do it. Instead, if you want to be a true, you know, communicate with them, you got to let them talk. And then if that means that you had to sit there in silence for, you know, two minutes, then you sit there in silence for two minutes. Cause maybe that's, the, the time it takes for them to really gain their composure or what they are really truly feeling. And so then if you validate how they feel, if you validate what they're saying and you care about what they say and you like, I know when I went through the school, I had a problem with, I knew how to work on summarizing or paraphrasing certain things. And we had an inmate done segregation when I was a sergeant that I would have to talk to him, it seems like two hours a day, just to make sure that he didn't break a sprinkler head, we'd have a use of force. And he was very, very into himself. So I knew like, you know, you're, you're really, you're really smart. I get it. You're really, really smart or a lot smarter than I am. And then I summarized what he said. And then he fed into that and he started talking to this. And then all of a sudden, two hours later, we're, we're talking about trucks or we're talking about how we just got in and stuff like that. So Truly listening to someone and letting them talk is the key to communication, I think, and really validating, and to me anyways. Well, and, and, and a lot of people, when they're, when they're listening to people talk, they're waiting. They're, they're formulating the response, yep. and they're waiting because they got to get in because what, what they have to say is way more important than what you're saying. And I like that, is that when you talk a lot about you, in the school you guys beat into our heads – the active listening skills. And one of my favorite active listening skills, and you brought it up, is silence. Because people are uncomfortable with silence. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if you just let that sit, if they're yelling, ah, I don't want to talk to you, get off my fucking door, da, da, and you just let it sit, they're gonna, they're going to talk. People do not want to just sit. They want to know what you're doing there. Why are you still standing there? You know, so, so that's, that's, one of my, that's one of my favorite ones. I agree. I, 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 we've even had trainings where I had to be quiet and I was so quiet that they were opening the door and they smacked me in the head with it. And so it, it works, but uh, yeah, just silence or I really love paraphrasing. I really love uh, summarizing because I think it really shows that person then like, okay, he does mean business. He does want to try to help me out. So, so, so what, how do you react when you hear somebody say, now a negotiator or an officer, mm-hmm. tell an inmate or tell somebody in crisis that they understand what they're going through. <laughs> oh, I hate that. I, I I know during the school, like until the school, I never really truly understood. But then when I went through the school and they're like, do you really understand what I'm going through? Like, how do you understand being in this cell all day long for 23 hours a day? And I'm like, truly, I don't. So that's where I say I get it. Or I can fathom being in your shoes right now. Like I've never been in your shoes before. You know, tell me about that. And that's right there is an opening. If you just say, tell me about how you're feeling right now, or tell me about what you're going through, that just opens up and it can be the thing that finally gets them out of that cell or out, you know, solves the conflict. Yeah, you're right. I, I listen, I read an article about um, people who, there's a couple different things when you tell somebody that you understand. First of all, like you said, you have no idea, especially if you're talking officer to inmate. I have no idea what that person's going through. And even in similar circumstances, if you're talking to your friend on the street and your mom died, his mom died, your friend got in a car wreck, you got in a car wreck, 
when when you say, hey, I understand, and you're, you're really quick to try to tell your story to relate, what it really does is it kind of minimizes the importance of what they're trying to tell you, and, right? So I've heard, I heard somebody, uh, we, had a, we had an individual that said she wanted to kill herself. That was it. She wanted to kill herself, and the person said, look, I understand, I get it, but dot, dot, dot. And I said, I was pissed. Yeah. I, you know, I wasn't the lead on this, and so I sit back, and I'm like, no, you don't. No, you do don't. You, you've never been... You've never been in a situation where a family member is testifying against you for something, and then you're locked up in a room and you're facing prison time. You don't know what that's like. Don't tell that person you understand. But it's but it's an automatic response. It's something like, "Hey, how are you doing today? I'm fine. How are you? You know, uh, it, hey, I want to do well. Hey, I understand. You know, it's just it's it's a it's a terrible terrible thing." Jim wants to talk about this. He says talking on his PA system. All right, we'll, we'll talk about that here in just a second, Jed or uh, uh, Jim. Jim is uh, Jim's a great guy. He went to the school with me. Uh, talked to him back and forth. He's a he's a wealth he's a wealth of information, man. All right, so we've got control of our own emotions, right? We've built this connection, and now we're actually conversating, making good communication, good conversation with the person talk to me a little bit about facilitating that and and what is the difference between an open-ended question and a close-ended question if you will so close-ended questions are you know you just, it's just a yes or no answer so and i know when i went through school and sometimes i still have it i i'll say a lot of close-ended questions where i could have said one open-ended question saying you know tell me about how you feel or I guess that's an open statement, but you know, it just if you have that one open-ended question where it's more than just a yes or no, and they actually have to go into a story, or they actually have to tell you how they feel or the, what they went through, um, then then it opens up a lot more, and they gain they have to say something to you, or then they're going to be quiet, and then that silence helps you out a lot better. So. Bet one of the best friends you can have is just having that open-ended question so they can talk and that you're not the always the one who has to keep asking all these rapid fire questions. Jed, I got a I got a I got a question here, a request. They want you to talk about one of your negotiations where silence was used more than any active listening skill. <sighs> I don't know if I really have had something like that. I mean a lot of times I can get them. I mean, you can be quiet for, for a little bit, but then they'll start talking and then that's your, that's your end. I know that the one scenario that we practiced that we trained on was, you know, they weren't giving me anything and I was, they were getting pissed off of me. So I, I chose to be quiet and I chose to use that for my benefit and it, it helped me. But honestly, I don't know if that's been my basic I know, like, if you go to a door and you knock and they say, go away. So, you know, you sit there for a little bit, you you wait, and then you knock again. And eventually, when you're quiet again, they're going to be like, are you still there? Well, yeah. Why are you still there? Well, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. You know, I'm, I get that you got your window covered. I get that you're pissed off, but I don't know why. What? Why, why are you so pissed off that your window's covered and you don't want to come out or you don't want to search? Well, fucking ask that person over there. Well, right. tell me about that. You know what happened with that person, and that's your that's your open-ended question right there. What happened today with that uh, that person? They'll say, "Well, I asked some question, and they never got back to me." And six hours later, here you are on your shift now. Okay, that's not me. So let me try to figure out the answer for you. You know how often do because these little questions, you know, a question that MA has, you know, how much money is on my books? Can you tell me? Yeah, I'll find that out. And then they just don't come back and talk to them. That's a big deal to these guys, right. especially, you know, that's all they got. And that's part of their lifeline. So they don't get that answer. They think, you know, they're fucking with them. They they won't ever figure this out. So I'm going to have to start doing something. So they, they hear me and they notice me. And it's just something simple that we can answer. And I think a lot of times that starts the problems. No, you're right. One of the, one of the situations that I had, uh, the gal asked for a, size medium jumpsuit pants uh, i was mm -hmm. taking her to court she wanted clean pants and she wanted a size medium and they brought me up a size large 
And they said, you know, it's no big deal. They can just they can just put it on. I said, no, I need to have a size medium pants. I'm not giving her these large pants because that's mm-hmm. not what she asked for. Because, look, we work in an environment where a candy bar is currency, right? I mean, yep. uh, people are are beat badly over two, three dollar debts, right? So as a negotiator, you have to take that stuff seriously. Yeah, I mean, it, the most, I mean, even during a negotiation, you know, someone might ask for a candy bar, or they might ask for, you know, something in your mind, something silly, but obviously they either, one, want to make a point, and then we should try, especially something simple like that, or a peanut butter sandwich, give it to them, you know, it's something big to them, it's something important to them right now, so let's focus on that, and not just say, you know, we're just huggers, or, you know, it's just something stupid. I don't, I'd never agreed with that, especially with, there's a lot of people in corrections and we all probably know it, that you always got that one guy saying, who gives a fuck? Who gives a shit? Well, we should, because that makes my life a lot harder. And there's no point in me not giving them information or something that they deserve or that they, it's just something simple for me to do, you know? What about when somebody says, Jed, you seem frustrated. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Frustrated is such uh, that's we usually get that through the school. You know, you someone always homes in on frustrated, and then the next person after that person has to say frustrated. There's so many words in this English, you know, in the dictionary that you can use instead of frustrated, you know, pissed off, or um, you sound emotional, or I can't even think of all you know the words that we can think of, but I'm more of a I'm a, when I negotiate sometimes, you know, I'll swear or I'll say fuck or this, but that's just how I talk. And I right. think that part of it makes me a person to that person. So if I'm saying, yeah, that would piss me off, I'd be infuriated right now. Or, you know, that would make me really happy or that would put a smile to my face if something like that happens. So I get where if you're losing that, that's really heartbreaking to you. And using more of a word that's, um, defining instead of just like mad or something like that. So that gets you a long ways too, I think, because then that person's like, yeah, I was really fucking pissed or, you know, that that's exactly how I feel. And this is exactly why I feel this way. So using more words than just the one or just a focus or just a little word like frustrated, I think goes a long way too. Yeah. I think frustrated minimizes what's actually going on. I mean, I think that if, if we've barricaded in our cell and I think if we've taken hostages or, or doing something, I think we're past frustrated. Yeah. I, I mean, I get frustrated when traffic's a little heavy, right? But I'm not going to yep. take any hostages uh, because of it. So, no, you're right. And I Listen, when you're talking negotiating and you're talking communicating on the, on a next level like this, those things that you say, they do matter. They do mm-hmm. matter. You're absolutely right. You have to take everything seriously. So, so we conversate, yeah. we communicate it with them, and then ultimately we hope to gain compliance. And if we don't, uh, a lot of people feel like, and I've got a little bit of blowback, um, taunting a little bit uh, because I, I didn't succeed. I wasn't successful mm-hmm. um, when I got sent to the door. And so they view it as a huge waste of time. Um, how do you feel about that? Even if we're not successful, it's not a waste of time because that two hours or that one hour, that 30 minutes that we tried, they got the team ready. They got other people ready to that mindset, get their gear on, or maybe, uh, who's ever in charge of the whole situation thought of a different idea while you're using that time to their, your benefit. And I. And what what is the be, what is the benefit of so the intention and and we talk about they 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 see it as a waste of time, mm-hmm. and we see it as an opportunity to to extend time. And what happens in a in a crisis situation like that when when it drags out? What goes on there? I mean, there's planning. There's the um, the management because I know. Um, for the people that don't know, I met my wife through the CNC school 
or through this, that's where we first met. And then uh, when we got on the team, it evolved after that. And then she was part of a negotiation where an inmate barricaded himself. Um, and she talked to him for hours and they were able to get their special or their special, you know, certain sort there. They were able to try to figure things out. And eventually time just moved on so long that they knew there was only one way and that was force. And she took, she took that pretty hard. I mean, she, when she was done, she, you know, she cried a little bit and she thought she, maybe she could have done more. And that's really hard on people. But that time that she stood at the door, the time that she uh, cared about that inmate and tried to gain as much information as she can to try to get him out of there, gain the time to people, the resources to get to the facility, the decision makers to make the decisions or get the approvals for the decisions. So there's such a big uh, behind the scenes process that that corporal that's just sitting at the door with the camera doesn't see. They just see someone talking to this inmate that, right. oh, we could have got this done a long time ago, but someone could have got hurt or he could have got hurt or, you know, something even worse. So talking works, even and, and, though well, when it doesn't work. And you're right. And there are situations, in fact, the majority of them work out. If you, if you drag time out, mm -hmm. it, it depletes their resources. It gives them time to think about what's happening. I mean, a lot of situations that drag out end with nobody getting hurt. Is that right? I want to say I, I've seen a stat. Don't quote me on this, but I want to say like 95 percent of negotiations end successfully so that even if it was a 90 percent or 80 percent, that's still a huge number of uh, scenarios that we succeed in just talking to somebody. You know, someone that's suicidal, that's sitting on the bridge. No one listens to them. They think that's the only end. But now they finally got someone there. There. I'm here. I'm listening to you. I'm sorry that no one listened to you in your past, but I'm here and I want to know what's going on because I want you to live. And you really, I mean, just nailing right there. I want you to live and caring about that person goes a long, long ways. Yeah, you're right. And Kim, Kim, Kimberly says, look, sometimes all we can do is buy time, but that's still, that's still our job. Like you said, there's a lot of things that have to happen prior to even doing a use of force situation. And, and what's the harm if we go in there and we try to we try to resolve it? We try to yeah. get that person to see maybe that there there is a there is a better way to handle this. Now, Jed, I want to talk a little bit about the emotional damage, the the stress. That first of all, corrections is a very stressful pr profession. Anyways, mm -hmm. it's, it, it it wreaks havoc on our on our heads and our hearts and our households. And I, when you get on a team such as this. And you subject yourself to this extra stress, to, to, to you saying, hey, if one of my officers' life is on the line, put me on that phone. What, yeah. How do you process that or deal with that, putting yourself in that position? I mean, I'm, I know that every time I get on the phone, I am very, very nervous. And I know the majority of us would probably say the same thing, you know, because we know how impactful our words or some of the things that we might say or might not say could, you know, impact something in this scenario. They could kill that person or they could, you know, it's, get that person hurt. And I know like, like during some of the scenarios where like pick a number. I didn't want to pick a number. I picked a number. You know, all right, this person gets hurt instead of this person. And that hits you hard. And you're like, if I didn't say a number, would he have changed it? And getting off that phone, you've never been the most mentally drained as you have ever been until you get into that situation. You know, just talking to someone at the door for 30 minutes and putting everything you have into that, it drains you. And like you get done, you're like, oh. It's time to relax, and then you're thinking, like, I think about, like, after I get talking to someone all day, all night, like, what we talked about, what I said here, what I said there, and I keep playing it over and over in my mind, and I think that helps me um, cope with it a little bit better, and even if I fail, I think it helps me cope with it a little bit better. Talk about, talk about the importance of the team and, and how important it is to be close to the team and to have a, a team building exercise and a, and a good relationship with the people that are in that room with you or at that door with you. So if we, if we don't, if we have people, if we don't get along, 
it's never going to work because, you know, we're going to feel that tension. You're going to feel that animosity amongst each other. And then, you know, the coach that is supposed to give you notes isn't going to give you notes or they're going to give you bad ones or they're just not going to give a shit. And I want to, since I started this team, even, I mean, this has been the closest knit family. And I mean, family that I've ever been with. I've, if I've never been a part of this team, I would have ne- never known any of these people. And I would have been, I would have been not as, I'm better off knowing them, honestly, because I met one of the guys on our team married me and my wife and me and my wife met on the team. And my best friend that's uh, not with corrections anymore. I mean, he I met him through the school. I met some of my closest friends through this school. And it's it's the best, honestly. I don't think people understand unless you unless you've been in that room and for four hours and even look, I, I, it's real. It's different, I get it, than training. But, but the way that, that you train, the way that we train, it doesn't feel like training. It feels mm-hmm. real. And when you're in a room and, and, and you've been on the phone for hours and you've been trying to resolve a situation, whether you do or you don't, it's so important to be in a room full of people that you feel comfortable with, people yep. that you can be vulnerable around. Uh, our, our trainings end in tears. I mean, yep. it, it, because you're so emotionally invested in what's going on or, or something comes up and it, and it, and it invokes these, these memories. And if you don't have that relationship like you're talking about, then it just, it's, it's not going to work. It, how am I going to put myself out there? I mean, maybe the guy asked me to sing on the phone. If I'm not comfortable, if I'm not yep. in a room full of family, then I may not want to do that because I'm afraid of being judged by somebody in the room, right? Yep, I agree with you. I mean, I agree. That's legit family, the people that you're with or side by side with, even when you get off the phone and you're like, I fucked up. And they're seeing right the next thing you know, that was really good. They point out everything they've done and we can even finish each other's sentences or, you know, just all the time. It's weird. It's how, how me and my other friend, like we play Xbox all the time and we finish each other's sentences or we're thinking exactly the same thing, or I'm going to text him exactly the same thing. He's like, I was just about to say that. And it, it's just because we've been together, you know, so long we've, we've hung out, we interact with each other and it makes us even a stronger team. Which, which is, important because if you're at the door and and i know you're at a spot where oh shit that's one of jed's triggers or mm-hmm. i know when you're maybe a little unsure or you're not sure where to go next it helps to have that person right next to you that that can just put the hand on your shoulder and say hey buddy yep you're fine we got this let's keep moving on man and that's i i've i uh have had the awesome opportunity to work with your team um, I don't know if a whole lot of people that go through the school from other agencies stick around, uh, <laughs> but you guys made such a big impression on, on my life. And I felt the information that you gave me, uh, just, I mean, it, it, it it's life. It, it's honestly life-saving, not to sound corny or anything, but I mean, I just, I, I, I need to feed off of, off of that. And, and that team, the, the, you know, building the team and how you guys interact with each other is just, it's just amazing, and I just I just really appreciate you letting us letting us hang out. I want to I want to talk a little bit about what what Jed does to unwind, to decompress after a situation. How important is the debriefings, um, the hot washes, and uh, and what are some things that you do or that some of your other team members do? Because here here's what people don't understand: we still as negotiators still have our regular job, right? So I could be on the phone or at the door with a person who's threatening to kill themselves or does. And then I have to go back to work. I have to go back into that housing unit. I have to make sure there's the mops and the cleaning bottles and everything. And I have to do that routine paperwork with that shit still in my head. So, so, so what do you do? And what is, what are some of the things that your team does to, help decompress from that so usually after i'm in especially trainings we always do a hot wash we always say you know what we did good what we did bad what we could improve on um and that's what another aspect of being a family and being so close is that we shouldn't be afraid of what to say that we screwed up on something or show something or you know give 
criticism, but corrective criticism and or constructive criticism. So then talking about it helps me the best really in thinking about it. And I probably don't talk as much as I should talk about it. I am a very, um, my wife would probably say the same thing. I come home and something happens. She goes, how's your day? Oh, fine. And I keep it, you know, in my head and just like my family, if I go home, how's your job going? Oh, good. Because they would have no clue what we go through or really understand like, you know, someone smearing shit on the wall is a normal day for us. You know, a lot of people can't fathom that. So I, me playing a lot in my head. And then also when it comes to the weekends, I play a lot of Xbox and I have a close net uh, group of people on Xbox that we play with them. And a lot of them are from CNT even still. And then other people are with corrections too. And we kind of minimize as much as we talk about corrections on there. And we just yell at the Xbox or get excited about it. And that's how I kind of unwind. You're right. Talking, talking about, the things that bother you, these, these sights and these sounds that haunt us is probably the most important thing that we can do when you're dealing, not only just in corrections, but when you're dealing with all of this other stuff. And, and I know that you mentioned, you know, hey, these people don't understand. They don't work where I work. And that's very true. But what I want to tell people is that they may not understand what it's like to have to restrain a crazy inmate or to negotiate for hours and hours and hours. But what they do understand is that they love you and that they care about you and that they want you to be okay. Uh, and so I implore people to, if you don't feel like you can talk to a spouse, now you had a you had an interesting situation because your spouse actually was familiar with what you did, yep. right? Yep. Some, I don't have that. When I come home and I tell my wife a story, I have to set the context. She doesn't, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it just, it's very hard. And, and sometimes I don't want to expose her to that kind of stuff. And so it's very important to have friends or, or neighbors or I, it was funny. I got a, I got a great neighbor, man. He's, he's so awesome. But I was, I was out a, a, after one of my shifts and I'm sitting on the back porch and I'm sipping some coffee and he asked me about my week and I told him and he goes, man, he goes, listening to you talk, I feel like such a pussy. <laughs> and I said, I said, oh man, listen, you have, you have difficult things about your job and stuff, but yep. you, ju you just have to find that outlet. And then if you find that, that talking about people or, or excuse me, talking to people isn't helping, then, then maybe it's time to seek other, other avenues, professional avenues. But I'll tell you what, the, the, the peer support, the people who know exactly what you go through, I mean, those are the those are the first responders in, in crisis situations like that, Jed. And you're so right. Having that family, having your 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 friends and and your Xbox sessions, and all of those are super important to be able to get get those things out of your head, out of your head. I I agree. You're right. Elisa says self care is so important. And we, listen, I've wrote, I've talked about that. Uh, Jed, aren't you, do, what else do you do? You do, are you a wrestling guy or what was the? Oh, was it like watching wrestling? Yeah. Yeah, I'll watch wrestling. I like watching that, that stuff, especially back in the old days of, you know, Attitude Era and everything like that. It's, it's uh, even I know it's kind of a silly show, but it's, it just kind of mellows me out and I can just kind of zone out and, just to watch the acrobatics and everything like that, or just try and chuckle at something that's silly on there. No, and you're right. You got it. You have to have something that gets you out of that environment and 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 frees your mind. I mean, it's super super important. And 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 having that self care, taking that time for for just yourself. I mean, it, I mean, it's huge. It's huge. So hey, guys, the comments are still coming in. Questions are still coming in, and I'm gonna hang out afterwards after we get off the air. I'm going to hang out. I'm going to go back and I'm going to answer stuff. And, and maybe Jed, if he's got some time, he can jump on in the comments and, and yeah. talk and, and go back and forth a little bit uh, But with you. But Jed, I got a couple of uh, I got a couple of more uh, rapid fire questions uh, right. that I'm going to ask you if you can just uh, answer them as honestly and as swiftly as possible. OK, are you ready? I don't know. I'm a little slow, so bear with me. OK, well, listen. This is one of those situations where time is not going to be on your side. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. What's your favorite movie? Uh, super bad. Super bad. Nice. Favorite food? Uh, pizza. Okay. Favorite book? 
That's a tough one. Uh, I don't know. You don't know? Here, let me give you. Let me. How about this? That's my favorite book. No, that- Born, because of how's the end. I like to read a lot. A lot of negotiation uh, story books. I like to read those a lot. Uh, Fifteen Days in Hell. I I would say that one. That's a really really good book. Who's your Even favorite? How who, who's your favorite is. negotiator? Uh, my wife. Nice. Good answer. <laughs> she, she's sitting there, right? She's within striking distance. She is. So I got to be nice. What's your What's your dream vacation? Stay at home. I just like to stay at home and keep to myself. This quarantine stuff is the best thing that's ever happened to me, honestly. Right. You know what? Honestly, and you're right, uh, because I'm such an uh, institutionalized hermit, um, mm-hmm. other than eating out a couple of nights a week, I, I do the exact same thing. Yep. You know, I just, you know, they, the government says sit on your couch and just go back and forth to work. That's what I was doing anyways. Right. <laughs> if you If you weren't working in corrections right now what would you what would you want to do i don't know i always thought about um maybe being a cop or i try to go to the military and my eyes are so bad that they weren't going to let me be in the military so like honestly i when i got into corrections i had no clue what i was doing with my, my life and i think i found a niche even though how maybe stressful it is or how um uh, irritating is sometimes i think i'm where i'm supposed to be at and i think i'm trying to be what i need to be i you know what i'm i'm one of the few that believes that corrections is a is a calling i i Mm. I feel that all of our all of our twists and turns in life lead us to where we are supposed to be and and i'm glad that uh that you're doing what you're doing i'm glad that i got to meet you and interact with you and i have the opportunity to learn from you and and I just want to thank you personally for for your service and, and for the sacrifices that you're making for your community and 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 to provide for your family man you you are you're making a difference in this profession and in people's lives and and I hope I hope you understand that and I hope the people close to you understand and are proud of you for doing that thanks Bill I appreciate it and I, I learned so much more from you too as you know and you do a lot more than I do so well, I, I appreciate that, brother. Listen, uh, the people at home, give them some final thoughts. Give them, give them a, a little bit of wisdom from Mr. Limoges. You want my wisdom? Yeah. Uh, always listen first before you really want to say what you want to say. Because majority of the time when you're about to say something, that person's either going to say it or you've moved on to something else that is irrelevant now. So you don't have to focus on something all the time. Let the conversation come to you and really truly listen to that person and validate them. And you're going to go a lot farther. I know it's harder like in relationships because you have such an emotional uh, connection with that person. And it's a little bit easier when you got someone that you have no fucking clue who you're talking to. So keep that coming home with it. And I know there's a couple times where my wife has said, don't do that CNT bullshit on me, you know, and, <laughs> but it truly, it really, really works. And if you really listen to someone before you talk, you're going it will work. Trust me. You, you know, and I know you're, I know you're joking a little bit, but the, the things that we're talking about tonight are applicable to your daily life. It's not just a, a crisis situation inside of a facility. I mean, when you're, when you're de-escalating a an angry bank teller, or uh, somebody calls on the phone and you mm-hmm. have to try to get your your lights turned back on or something, I mean, it just any situation where you can de-escalate and resolve and get the results that you want. Uh, this this I mean, this is great information. This is and 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 what and I'm just gonna add one more thing to what Jed said, and he's right. Everybody wants to be the most important person in the room, and if you can make them feel that way then you'll win. Then you will get what you need to get done and you'll go home safe. And, 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 and that's, that's a win. That's a win. So Jed, listen, I want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. Thanks for spending an hour with me. Tell, tell your wife, uh, I said, hi, and I'm sorry for keeping you so long on a Saturday night. Um, I'd be playing Xbox anyway, so she's okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Very good. All right, man. Um, All right, people, thanks for checking in, and uh, we'll be live again next Saturday night, 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. I'm going to have a gentleman on 
Mr. Carl Waggett from Ontario, Canada. Uh, he's going to talk to us a little bit about post-traumatic stress and how it affected him and how he has pushed past it. All right, guys, until next time, be smart, stay safe, stay sane, and we'll talk soon. Let's go.